What's up and welcome to Wait Hold Up Podcast with Jessica Molina and Yarel Ramos. Each week, tune in as we have unfiltered conversations about careers, relationships, wellness, feminism, and of course, we'll often be joined by guests you either know or should know who will share their humor, knowledge, and their very own Wait Hold Up moments with us. Here at Wait Hold Up, we want you to feel like you found your crew, your girls who you can do life with. Listen, it's a crazy world out there and we can all use some help in our efforts to live our best lives. We don't have all the answers, but we're down to figure it out together. Thanks for listening. Here's our latest episode of Wait, Hold Up. up everybody welcome back welcome welcome back to wait hold up i'm jessica and i'm yarel and we're just so happy to be here again connected with all of you and we're just so glad and happy for your patience and your love because i know it's been a minute jess it's been forever and you know we needed to take this time i think it was valuable it was good time for us for us emotionally for us professionally for us to just sort of get things aligned and this is going to be an awesome season that we have for you we've already done a few interviews and i'm super super excited about what we have in store but you know just sometimes life happens as we've told you many many times before so right, right. it just you just got to go with it <laughs> right we just we appreciate just everyone connecting with us and being like where are you girls and when are you coming back um like just mentioned i think we all need to go through these spaces where we take and we disconnect um not that we weren't talking about the podcast we were but we just uh for sure needed some space to disconnect from everything that's been happening i mean it's just been yeah. the year of like crazy changes and so much going on that Uh, mental, you know, just your mental state is so important. And we wanted to make sure that what we were doing, we weren't just putting out episodes per episodes per week, that we were actually building good content for you. So now we're back. Now we're full of energy. Uh, Now we got new haircuts. And (laughs) yeah, we feel good. Hey. Yes. Oh, my God. So I like cut off like 11 inches, I want to say, or something like that. Like I cut off. so, And I haven't cut my hair in... Actually, my roommate from college hit me up and she's like, oh, my God, that's how we met. Because I started college when I was 18 years old with short hair. And I have not that means I've not cut my hair short for 16 years. I was about to ask you, like, how when was the last time or has this been the shortest you've ever had your hair? Yes. I think this might even okay. be shorter than when I was 18. I, I'm, if, I, if not, Damn. it was like around this length. And I have used my hair as like my security blanket. I have felt mm. so afraid of cutting it. I don't know. I feel like hair is so personal. It's yeah. like, especially, you know, when it's long, everyone's like, oh, it's long. It's so nice. And you, but I've never known how to, what to do with my hair. I have so, it's so mm. thick. It just like, I never understood how to style it. So it was becoming like more burdensome. It was also like dead at the ends because of quarantine and I wasn't getting it cut. And I think it took me like seven months to talk myself into like 
you just got to cut it. You just got to cut it. Because right, I was like, right. oh, I'm going to cut it after the wedding. But now the wedding is like indefinitely postponed at this point because of quarantine or COVID. And so I'm like, you know what? Let's just do it. If I don't like it, I don't have to see anybody because it's COVID. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I love it. And I'm super happy that I did it. And yeah, I, it feels lighter. But there were no mm. other... Uh, at least as far as I know, there were no other like grand okay. tragic moments that led to this. But who okay, knows? Good. Maybe I'll diary I mean, it out <laughs> and see. <laughs> did did you feel like did you like it when you first I mean did you were you initially like this is how short I wanted? Or did you go into the salon thinking something else and then you got to there? And did you come out happy? were you happy? Okay, so I went in with like so it's first of all you know I was like looking because I knew I wanted to have like something short above my shoulders and trying to find a picture Mm -hmm. of someone who I felt like had hair similar to me because that's such a big thing it was really hard so like I don't know her but I found a picture of Selena Gomez and I was like whatever close enough and I liked the style (laughs) and so I brought it in and it was um and it was actually my like cousin's wife who is a hairstylist and so she cut my hair and I personally never love how my hair looks when I leave the salon because I don't know it just looks a little too perfect and put together mm-hmm. and I just like tiled. it to look a little yeah right. exactly so mm-hmm. um I was like at first like okay I really love the length like I was like scissor happy I was like go shorter go shorter like I was like down for it to be oh, shorter man. I, you know if she brought the clippers out I probably would have been like sure let's go for it but when I left I was like okay I like it because I like the length but I knew I didn't like love the way it was styled again because I never leave salons like this is perfect but after I washed it it like is doing something and it's making me feel really happy and it's got like a good flow and wave and look and Mm. I just you know I think more than anything I'm like why am I so like afraid of cutting my hair it's not an arm it's hair right it grows back right but so. it's because you're right. You know, you were like our identity is so intertwined with our hair. And I mean, just like you, I, I, I use my hair like as a as a protective shield from just isms. Right. If mm-hmm. I'm nervous, I'm grabbing my hair. If I'm like if I'm anxious, I'm grabbing my hair. If there's something going on, you know, it's like something that you can just even right now we're talking and I'm like playing and like yeah, whipping yeah. my hair. You know what I mean? Like we're just like, yeah, this is. So when you're so used to having it a certain length, like you become, I don't know, it's like a, also like a relationship with your hair. Trust me, I know exactly how you feel because it took me a really long time. And even when I went short, I was a bit just taken back from like, oh my gosh, it's so short and I don't know how I feel. And getting used to it, because for me, like I've never had short, have short hair. And mm-hmm. mine may be longer than yours, but even getting here, it, it was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy for me, but I really want to do it. I really want to get over that space of feeling like I need to have this long hair to like protect myself to just like even like my body. Um, But yeah, no, I think it looks great. And I'm with you. Like it's liberating to get a haircut. It's nice to just feel like you don't have to do much. You know what I mean? Yes. No, um, completely, completely. It was, it was way overdue. So I'm like, Okay, it's that's good. Now, like, what's the next challenge? What's the next big yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. So I, I have no idea what that is. Um, but you know, jumping from hair to another topic that's often politicized <laughs> or is very political. I just want to talk about voting for a second because yes. um, it was um, and is National Voter Registration Day, or you know, something, whatever hashtag they're calling it, and. 
I am just feeling so anxious mm. about this election. Yeah. Um, we just lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I am like, it, it was one of those moments when, like, when it happened, I remember. Did you feel like, like a punch was, in your stomach? Oh my God. I dude, feel like yes. someone punched me. I was like, yes. no. No. This woman was holding on to your life. And was it really selfish of me to think, like, could, could you have waited a few more months? Like, damn, Ruthie, why'd you do this to us? But then it's like, damn, this woman was already in so much she pain. Was, I and know. Like, uh, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. And it's it's just, um, it did feel like a punch in the gut. I was actually about to start dinner and like I completely like lost my appetite and it messed me up. And, you know, and I've just been like, I, I, I've signed up since for a phone bank to call Florida voters um, within the Latino and Caribbean community. And I'm like, I'm like so scared. I'm scared and I'm trying not to be because I'm reminded of like, I don't know the resilience of the nation, but I also just feel like today they, um, you know, indicted one cop on the Breonna Taylor, um, for the Breonna Taylor murder, and they didn't even indict him over, like, murder. Over um, the murder, right. Right, exactly. And so it just feels like there's just so much injustice, and this country is just so infuriating. And, like, the one thing where we have, like, any type of power or control is in this election, and mm -hmm. it's it's messing me up. Like I'm, I, I'm yeah. like terrified. So right. um, we're gonna we're gonna have more um, episodes on this. You guys, we're gonna make it sick of us because we're gonna keep talking about it. But I'm I'm bringing it up right now just because we're coming up upon deadlines in certain air, um, states to register to vote. And so it, even if you haven't decided, which I don't know how, but even if you haven't decided who you're voting for, I just hope that you have decided to vote. And yeah. so please check and make sure that you are registered to vote. If you go to vote.org, you can check and see if you're registered to vote and it will only take you 30 seconds. It's so simple. And then after that, you can register to vote online. So you don't have to go anywhere. Everything right. can be done from the comfort of your home. Why are you sitting on the toilet? Whatever you were doing. But yeah. this, we just, we just can't be inactive. Um, and yeah. let shit continue the way it has been. Okay. Right. Do it. Do it for your loved ones. Do it for your parents. Yeah. Go and check out their statuses. Make sure that you also involve them. I know a lot of us. It's still a conversation about like, oh yeah, my vote doesn't count. No, yeah, you. It counts and it matters. So bring your tias, bring your theos, bring your neighbors. Make sure they're registered, and make sure they're also they also in tune with what's going on in in the country in their communities. There's like like you said, there's so much going on, and that's going to direct that is directly affecting us and our communities, and we need to be about it this year more than ever. 32 million just. Uh, Latinos eligible to vote this year like that's mm. numbers that's like power and yeah we can have a, a, a huge representation in all these other fields but when we don't have political representation and political capital then we can't be in places where we need to be we cannot make sure that our resources are you know that, that we get these resources uh, that were counted and that our issues you know matter when when it comes to like policy so yeah so much so much on voting Jess it's it's 
it's I'm, I'm I'm on I'm with you on that one I get like antsy I get nervous I get hopeful then I want to cry again and then I don't want to feel like 2016 again and it's something that it's it, within our power right now so for sure we're going to be about it for the next week, week, few weeks yes. <laughs> on every yes. episode for, with you guys oh my gosh absolutely so I know this is first of all if this is the first time that you've listened to this podcast I think this is a really great yeah. representation of us right. we're going to start talking right. about our haircuts and the emotional <laughs> attachment we have to our hair and get yep. into like our political activity and the reason why we need to be woke and aware and standing up for our rights in this country. So welcome to Wait Holds Up in case <laughs> this is your first introduction. And we have an awesome show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we have an awesome, awesome show and an amazing guest. Um, who do we have on the show today, Yareli? Today, we have Julissa Arce. She is a best-selling author of My Underground American Dream, Entre las Sombras del Sueño Americano, and Someone Like Me, Alguien Como Yo, best-selling author. She was named one of People in Español's 25 Most Powerful Women, and uh, she was a 2019's Woman of the Year by the city of L.A. She is a leading voice in the fight for social justice, immigrant rights, and education equality. Julissa Arce, thank you so much for being with us. ¿Cómo estás? I'm excited to I'm excited to be on the pod. I'm I'm doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging in there for sure, trying to stay um, safe, yeah. healthy. How's this quarantine going for you? You know, it's like that question. It's to me, it's almost like a like a day to day, right? You know, like one day it's like okay, this is okay, it's not that bad, and then there are other days when. It just feels really overwhelming and, and it feels like, when is this going to be over? And um, and then, you know, I'm starting to see people kind of on social media being kind of out and about. And uh, I feel like a lot of things when I see that, I feel like a little bit jealous, like, oh, I wish I felt comfortable enough to like be out in the world like we weren't in the pandemic. And then I feel like upset about it like why are people out like that like at the carne salas with like 20 primos like this is not like we're still in a pandemic people yeah (laughs) so it's like every day it changes it just it still feels like so unreal you know there are days when I wake up and I'm like how is this actually right happening right. and it's but, been but it is it's it's real and it's happening yeah mm-hmm. i feel like it it went from like oh it's gonna be only a few months you know two months to now it being like oh man the year's about to end we're still going at it we've reached six seven months into this and things you know are only getting a little bit more difficult for different sectors for different realities and communities but um you know you've been doing so much work julissa when it comes to um advocacy civic engagement uh your journey's just been so uh, motivating to a lot of young women your books everything that you share with us through um your articles tell us a little bit about uh yourself where you're from and how you've gotten to now be uh, a best-selling author how you're uh, how you met Oprah? So, so many questions, but let's let's start off with uh, telling us a little <laughs> bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a long journey from from like where I from where I'm from to uh, to going on Oprah's show. That was that was a trip. I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, but uh, so I'm originally from Mexico. I was born in Mexico in Tasco Guerrero, and I was talking about how my mom still lives in Mexico. So she lives in Tasco Guerrero, which is three hours south of Mexico City. And I came to the U.S. when I was 11. Um, my parents had already been living in the U.S. for um, 
for a few years before I came to be reunited with them. And then when I turned 14, my visa expired and I became undocumented. And, you know, that was a really that was a really strange time uh, in my life because I was undocumented at a time when there was no dreamer movement where there was no like young undocumented people being out in the world saying I'm undocumented and unafraid like they like everybody was like in the closet about being undocumented it was something you didn't talk about and so it felt like a very lonely journey um you know fast forward to now I uh I I think a lot of people probably who who have when I meet people and they say they've heard about me it's usually because they have read some article about the time I spent on Wall Street when I was still undocumented working at Goldman Sachs and becoming a vice president there. Um, but, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like that's that part of my life has been like to me, it feels like it was such a long time ago um, because I haven't worked on Wall Street now for like over five years. And now I'm now I'm a writer. That's like when people ask me what I do, I say I'm a writer. Um, and and so you know, writing these these books that I've written, my underground American dream, and someone like me, and now I'm working on a third book. But writing those two books, which are memoirs, it really goes back to that to what I just said about that journey being very lonely, because I feel like there's still a lot of people today who feel lonely in their journey, uh, particularly because they are not a lot of places where Latinas are represented, where undocumented Latinas are represented. And I really wanted to give people a space in my books where they could feel like their journeys were important and where they weren't alone in going through that journey. Right. I, I love that you say that it's about, you know, there, there, first of all, just like loneliness, right, as a theme and how much people are even feeling that so much more right now, given the time that we're living in. Mm. Right. And I think so. Whereas before people were able to start creating networks and reach out and have that opportunity of just sitting with someone. Now we have to do that virtually. Like I'll sit with you in whatever it is that you're going through. And I'm, you know, really curious as to this idea of like honoring your journey and supporting about ways that you think people can own their stories and use them so that they can then empower others, but also I think at the same time empower themselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny because so I was on this like Zoom a while ago, like at the beginning of the pandemic, and there was this conversation about um, about undocumented people and the pandemic. And I felt like, you know, as someone who who lived undocumented for 15 years, uh, I'm having, like, I'm having PTSD. I feel like that's what I'm experiencing right now because, um, I mean, I was talking at, at the top about just like, um, you know, thinking about like, should I go visit my mom or not? And just even, even saying that out loud, like makes my heart palpitate because for such a long time, I couldn't, I, I could not leave the country. I could not get on a plane and go see my family because I wouldn't have been able to come back as someone who didn't have papers. And so now I'm going through it again in a different way. And I have so much privilege now, like being a U.S. citizen and being able to travel anywhere I want. Um, but I think hopefully gives people like a very small glimpse of what it's like to be undocumented. Like you can't when you're undocumented, you can't go everywhere you want to go. 
anytime you want to go. Like you have to be so conscious and so careful about getting in a car and driving without a license. Um, you know, uh, missing so many important moments like weddings or like I, and I talk about this in, in my underground American dream about not being able to go see my dad in Mexico as he was dying when he was sick. Um, and I feel like that's something that a lot of people are going through right now with, with COVID and not being able to have like funerals for their loved ones right. and not being able to be with their loved ones as they're sick in a hospital. And like, I feel that so much in my heart and in my mm. soul because I have lived through that exact thing under different circumstances. Um, and so I think, you know, I think that, that when I talk about stories and when I talk about telling your own story, uh, I think that's a very personal thing that each of us has to decide for ourselves, whether, whether it make, like, I think there are times, so there's two things. There's like two opposing forces almost. One is wanting to be like bold and like sharing your story. And then the other is feeling terrified that telling your story is going to have like life-changing altering consequences and I think it's a very personal decision when you are personally ready to share that story but I I think and I and I just said this recently which is that our story shouldn't make us afraid right like our story should make us free and if if you are at that point where like your story telling your story is going to give you freedom then you're ready to tell your story and you're ready to use that story to empower other people to inspire other people to get that weight off of your shoulders and it's a journey to just even get to that place where you where I or for me where I felt like okay I am ready to tell the story that I have never told before like I'm ready to say I used fake papers to work at Goldman Sachs and you know there's still days when I'm on a panel or speaking at some corporate place where I still don't feel comfortable saying that and I'll, I'll tell my story in a different way and that's okay. You know, it's like, it's my story and I get to tell it however I want and give whatever details I want when it's comfortable to me. I love that. I think it's something that, I don't know, I feel like I could relate to lately in the realm of like sharing things and being feeling like exposed in a certain way, right? And like then not wanting to go there with things even about yourself or for my, even, I mean, for myself being on a platform that's, uh, you know, you're supposed to kind of be in a box as a journalist, right? Like sharing too much or being very vulnerable or all these little things that are kind of like nuances in, in, in the spaces that we live in now with the social, the digital. You you talked about Goldman Sachs, uh, Julissa, and I'm just really curious to to know, I, I, I'm not sure what you studied in college, but going from Wall Street, like what, 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 how, how, how's that process going from Wall Street to then writing a book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I, I, I just got a new bookshelf, uh, over I the saw weekend that. and my, and my, my husband built it. Yeah. And I, uh, I mentioned it because I, I was, I have a bunch of journals. Like I've kept journals since I was very young and very detailed journals. And so I've always, I've always used writing as my outlet. Uh, and I have always written stories since I was very young and so I was like reading through some of those journals and and like it's it's so it's so interesting to to read about yourself when you were in a different time in a different space and um 
and so to, to answer your question though i i i was a finance major in college and I, my view has changed so much of the world. Like even even for my first book, my underground American dream, I wish I could write it again. Like there's things in it that like no longer like apply. Like I don't I don't believe those things that I wrote. Some of the things that I wrote, um, I mean I still very much believe in the book and I love that book and I'm so grateful that I got to tell my story when I did. Uh, but things have definitely changed. I mean that's why I'm writing a, a third book, right? Like because I think as people like we're constantly changing and evolving. But um, but so I was I was a finance major in college and I used to have this idea that like if I got really rich, it wouldn't matter that I was undocumented because like who would want to turn me away if I was like powerful and wealthy. And so that was like my journey for a long time was like, how can I get rich? Like, how can I make the most amount of money? And Wall Street was a place that this is this is prior to the financial crisis was a place that was very reputable. Like people, everybody in I went to the University of Texas at Austin um, and was in the business school and everybody in the business school, like everybody's dream job was to go work on Wall Street and then within Wall Street to go work at Goldman Sachs. And so that was my dream. I was like, I'm gonna go work on Wall Street. And um, and I'm really glad I did. I mean, I had a great career there. I had, a, I, I, in many ways, the money that I made while I worked at Goldman and at Merrill Lynch were was money that like still to this day, like in this pandemic has helped me to get through like, uh, like difficult financial moments. <laughs> uh, because, you know, like speaking engagements are like, so few and far between right now. Um, so I always tell my friends like, oh my God, like Goldman's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I always knew, I don't know, it felt like even though I had a great career and a very successful career, while I worked there, I always knew that there was something more for me, that there was something else. And when I was reading these journals, like in one of the entries, I'm like, what's it like? What is this all there is? Shoes and fancy dinners and hotels at the Mandarin Oriental in Miami. And I know that sounds like so obnoxious. Uh, and when I was reading this journal back to myself, I was like, I was so annoying. Like, <laughs> Like that is such an annoying thing to to say, uh, um, but I think all of that were just kind of getting me to this place now where I was very very lucky that Bloomberg Business Week wrote a story about my journey, which is really the thing that went viral five years ago or yeah five years ago um, six years ago maybe this story went viral and because of that. Um, different um, literary agents were reaching out to me saying, would you want to write a book about oh your God. story? And I was like, yes, like I've always wanted to write a book. And going back to those journals, like in that journal I had, I had written at one point um, in 2007, right after my dad passed away, that one day I was going to write a book. And one day all that pain that I felt was going to ease someone else's pain. And I had outlined the chapters of the book I was gonna one day write. And like 10 years later, 10 years later, my book came out. And, um, and you know, I, I, I was not, I'm not a trained writer. Like I don't have a, a, a an MFA, a master's in, in, in creative writing. I don't, I don't, I'm not a, a trained writer, but, but I think that I have become a very good writer um, because I, you know, it's just like anything else. It's a, like, you know, that book, um, it's a tipping point 
maybe it's tipping point outliers no outliers oh, outliers outliers yeah we're 10, outliers right? hours exactly exactly like when you do anything for 10,000 hours like you become good at it right and it's a it's a muscle you have to keep exercising um and so now I mean I don't even know how much writing I have done but but you know I write a lot of I've written two books now I guess three books because I I finished the the first the first draft of my new manuscript um which I'd love to tell you guys more about also but um but yeah, so like now that I've been writing so much and, you know, I write op-ed pieces and uh, now when I look at my writing, I'm like, okay, like, yeah, I'm a good writer, you know, and I, and I didn't always feel that way. So it's good to have that feeling now. That's amazing. And I think one of the things that just kind of like stands out to me as I speak to you is this overwhelming sense of like confidence in who you are. And at the very top of the conversation, you talked about identity and how you used to identify, you know, as working in the financial district or business, but now you identify as a writer. And we can also say, I don't know if you accept the term activist as well mm. um, yes. in your identity, but I, th- I, I just feel this overwhelming sense of living a life that for so long you had to deny a part of yourself and that now you're just standing in the truth of claiming every part of you and being able to even say, I'm really good at this because I've worked at it. And I feel like as Latinas, especially that humility, that sort of like, oh, you never really, you can't say it, you can't own it. It like seeps into us that even when we're like, got the degrees, we've got the books, we've got the awards. It's like, oh no, it's a nana, you know, just a little something. So I just love, I love to see it. Yeah, Yeah, man. Like it's so funny. So today all day, and I just haven't had like two minutes to post, to post this, but like all day, like I woke up with this thought in my mind, which is normalize, normal, wait, what's the, now I, now I lost it, of course, because now I have to say it out loud. Oh, I, I I remember. Normalize self-promoting because I think there's this there's this there's this negative connotation of people being like oh my god like she's you know like self-promoting like she's just self-promoting and we look at that as a bad thing and 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 I woke up feeling like if I am not my own biggest cheerleader if I am not the person who most believes in myself and in my abilities and in the work that I am doing then how can I expect anybody else to buy into it to support it, to be a part of it, if if I cannot do that for myself, and this is this is how I'm feeling today. There are certainly days when I feel like, and my 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 husband can attest to this. You know, whenever there are times when I feel like oh, I'm a terrible writer, I like suck at this. Like, what am I doing? I should just go back and work in finance. Like, where I had a really good paycheck every two weeks and had the most amazing healthcare and like but then but then it goes back to how much how 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 there's this such a big uh inequalities right because why can't I as a writer have the same type of health care that I had when I was a banker working on Wall Street right like why is it that I can't have the same type of retirement benefits that I had when I worked on Wall Street as a writer. Like, why is it that there's so few jobs and industries that give people access to those things, right? And so that really just like continues to fuel my activism because it shouldn't be that way. Like a teacher should have the same healthcare 
as the Wall Street banker and the value that they provide to society, I would argue a teacher provides so much more value uh, than, you know, what I was doing when I worked on Wall Street. Um, anyways, I, I'm like rambling, going off on a tangent, but but I yeah, know, you gotta be I your biggest cheerleader. <laughs> I didn't feel like we, I knew we had a time limit to this episode. There are so many points that you I brought know. up that I'm like, and I wanna yes, say this, and I yes. wanna say this, but in the, in the, the, you know, being conscious of your time and everything that's going on, I, I really do want you to, um, you talked about your writing a third book or you just finished your first manuscript for the third book. So so tell us about your third book. We wanna know what's coming and to see this evolution that you're, you're speaking of. Yeah. So the, I'm I'm so excited about this next book. I have been working. I have really, really poured so much of myself into it, and and have really worked. I don't think I've ever worked so hard on anything in my life. Um, and it's it's a book that's going to be called Rejecting Assimilation, and it's a it's a shorter manifesto type book where I really make the case that assimilation is equal to accepting white supremacy and whiteness. And until we stop assimilating, uh, we won't fully be free and we won't fully be able to be ourselves because we always are changing ourselves to a measure and to a... Yeah, we're always measuring ourselves against something that was never made for us to succeed, right? So I, I, so I give... So I kind of go through... Um, the book doesn't come out until next year. It's I just finished writing the first kind of full draft, and I mean, right now I'm going through like the editing process with my with my editor. Um, but uh, but you know, I kind of go through like for example, I'll just give you an example. When we come to the U.S. as like as an immigrant, we you know we're asked to be like more American, and the first thing, the first thing that people mean when they say that is like the one of the first things that you hear is like learn how to speak English. Right. Like learn how to speak English. And so you do. You learn how, you know, you learn how to speak English um, because there's also this myth that like immigrants of the past, that they all spoke English right when they went through Ellis Island. And that's not true. Like there's so much research that has been done about like German immigrants who were the largest non-English speaking immigrants at the time, like in the 1920s. Um, and most of them never learned how to speak English. Most, there were like these German schools that they would set up. Uh, most of their children also didn't learn how to speak English. It was like not just that first generation, it was like first, second generation of German immigrants that didn't learn how to speak English. But, but, but they are like used against the immigrants of today saying they learn how to speak English. Why can't you learn how to speak English, right? Um, and there's this idea that, as, and there's this idea that we sell to people that as soon as you learn how to speak English, that everything will fall into place. And yes, it is true that learning how to speak English makes life easier in the United States. Of course, that's 100% true. But we should learn how to speak English because it makes life easier for us, not because we're being measured against this impossible standard. Because as soon as you learn how to speak English, well, then there's a question of like, do you have an accent? And then you want to get rid of your accent, right? And unconsciously, I remember being in, in middle school, learning how to speak English, getting in front of the mirror, practicing my words, enunciating in such a way that I sounded like the white characters I saw on television, that I sounded like the white girls at my school. And so if you think about it, when we ask people to assimilate, to assimilate to American culture, 
what is American culture really? And what we're really being asked to do is to embrace whiteness when we're asked to when we're asked when we're asking people to assimilate. And it's an impossible standard. It's a never finished line. Like you, you, you know, you learn how to speak English, you get the degrees, you get the money, you get the accolades, you get the awards, and still, and still people reject you as yeah. American. <laughs> and so and so anyways, that's that's the that's the journey I've been on and the journey I wanted to share in this book. And um and you know, it's not just my opinion. It's uh, I, I've tried really hard to also back it up with research and historical context. Um, and uh, I can't wait for it to come out. That's awesome. I, I think that's dope. Yeah, I, I you know I think um, I actually had a conversation very similar to that this weekend. Um, and it was essentially like success on by whose standards, right? This idea of what are we're trying to live up to something, but who set the bar that we're trying to live up to? And it's never been us. No, exactly. So, right. Yeah. Um, so exactly. then next, so then the book next year, um, amongst all the other things that you're that you're doing and writing, Julissa, something that I would also uh, for love for you for, would love for you to touch on. You wrote an op-ed as well, not so long ago, about American Dirt. This book about the uh, um, a journey of of immigration of a Mexican family. This that's how you were um, on this show with Oprah. Um, I, I you know when it comes to publishing, you talk about your journey is very very particular um, of of you getting your you know having a book, but it's not the case at all for in the in the book publishing space to be so. It's for it to be as easy as we think it is to put together a book, to have an idea, to get it pushed, to get the um, the media behind it. Um, what do you tell young young writers? You know, what's your advice to young writers when it comes to sharing ideas like rejecting assimilation, like someone like you, uh, like like all like the stories that you shared um, for them to make them possible as well? Because I know that I feel like it's I I I get all these ideas of like yeah I should I should also put together ideas of a book but I'm like I'm never gonna get published like there's an, there you know it's what, what's what's in it what's who's gonna back me up in this huge space where our stories are not supported yeah well first of all you should write a book anybody <laughs> that wants to write a book should absolutely uh write a book and uh oh, yes. you know I will say like uh yeah like my my journey to getting published is a little different than than other people's it still was not an easy journey though like I for my first book, um, yes, there were literary agents that were coming to me and saying, do you want to write a book? There was still a process of having to put together a book proposal. There was still a process of pitching that book proposal to publishers who then like rejected the book. Uh, you know, I had, I had one publisher say yes. And lucky for me, that's all it takes, right? All it takes is for one person to say, yes, we want to publish your book. But I didn't get, you know, the million dollar advance that uh, the author of American Dirt, I mean, not anywhere close to that. Um, so there's still sort of like this really big disparity and inequality within the publishing industry. And one of the things that I'm often, that I, that I, that I often hear um, is that, we need to make our stories more relevant. Like I need to make my stories more relevant. And the, 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 going back to sort of this idea of rejecting assimilation, the question really is like relevant to who, right? Relevant to whom? Because um, when, the, when the publishing industry is 90, 85%, 90% white, uh, 
the only way I can relate to the only way that my stories are relatable then to the people that are making choices and decisions for whether or not something is going to get published is to make it more relatable mm-hmm. to a white audience. Right. And I am tired of doing that. Like I don't, I don't want to cater my books to a white person. Um, and if somebody picks up rejected assimilation and they're a white person who's reading that book, I hope they learn something from it. Right. I hope that white people will read the book, but my audience for my book is not a white audience. Um, and, and, you know, in in full transparency, it's kind of it's kind of funny how the world works. But the publisher that published um, American Dirt uh, is uh, Flatiron, who's actually also publishing my book. So it's sort of like a full circle for me because you know sometimes I think we think like, oh my god, if we speak out, then like we're gonna get blacklisted. And in my experience, it's like it wasn't that way at all, right? Like I was able to speak out against. Um, the publishing industry because really American Dirt was one example of what's wrong with the publishing industry but my problem wasn't personally with Janine Cummings right yeah, like yeah, yeah. I don't know her um, my, my problem was with the way that her telling of a story was embraced in a way that stories that are told by more authentic voices uh, are not Right. And one of the kind of biggest pushback was, well, can't writers write about anything they want? And the, the answer is like, absolutely. Anybody can write it. I mean, I could write a story about a, you know, 25 year old white girl living in New York City. Like, sure, I can write that book, uh, but I better do my homework. Right. I very I, I very I, I better do a lot of research and read a lot of books that, about that kind of experience so that I can more accurately tell that story. Uh, and I think that the, the point was that many of us felt that the author did not do that um, for that book. Um, and the advice really is like, keep writing. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many people I meet that want to write a book. And then when I ask them, well, have you started writing it? Or how much have you written? And they're always, I get the, I, so many times the answer is like, I haven't started writing. Or like, I, I haven't written anything. Well, then it's like, well, how are you going to, how are you going to write if you're not writing? Right? Like, right, right? And if you're not reading, like when I ask people like, well, what, what books inspire you? Well, I'm not, I don't really read that much, but I want to write a book. It's like, how can you, how can you be a writer when you don't, when read. you don't read? Right. <laughs> you know? Um, so like first thing is just like work on your craft like keep keep writing keep reading um look into fellowships there's so many different types of fellowship programs that um that that are really amazing programs that can like for example like pen america p-e-n pen america uh it's a really great organization that um has different types of fellowships where you'll work with like professional writers that will read your manuscript, that will give you feedback on your manuscript, that will introduce you to literary agents. Um, So there's a lot of those kinds of programs uh, that you just have to do a little bit of research to like find them and see where they are. Um, Not everybody, you know, not everybody has to go get a a master's in creative writing to be able to write a book. Um, I mean, one of my favorite uh, poets, uh, Jessica Salgado, who just won like the her book just won the International Latino Book Award for Poetry. Um, you know, she talks about like not going to college and like being a, being this amazing poet and like getting her her books sold and published. And so, and so, just because you didn't have like this traditional journey doesn't mean that 
that you still can't find a way to to where you want to go. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really great reminder, actually, that it doesn't have to be that traditional path right. that everyone else has taken. Right. Julissa, so uh, we, uh, you have this really cool and uh, very important uh, new series that you've been talking about on your social media. Can you tell us a little bit about it and what you're doing with uh, We All Grow? Yeah, so I created this series called La Historia Uncovered that is uh, a four-part series to uncover unknown Latinx history in the United States. And so I'll be in conversation with professors, authors, journalists that have uh, written and studied uh, the Latino history uh, in the U.S. And all of the books that and the authors that I'm speaking with are books and authors that um, they're books that I have read in research for rejecting assimilation. So they're all books that I've read in, in research for my book. And what I realized as I was reading this these books and I kept trying to quote them, you know, I kept trying to quote different parts of it. And next thing I knew, like I had highlighted like an entire chapter. So I was like, <laughs> obviously, I can just like, you know, copy and paste like somebody else's entire book and like quoted <laughs> so i um i just thought like why not why not share um this knowledge that i that i uh have gained and this power that i have gained from reading this books because what it has really shown me is that latinos um we have a really long history in this land we have really deep roots in this land that have helped me to understand just how much I belong in this place. Um, even though I wasn't born in the United States, even though like my parents were not born here, we still have roots here. And those same roots that connect me to Mexico uh, are so deep that they run all the way through past the Rio Grande and uh, give me really deep roots here as well. So we'll be talking to, I'll be talking to uh, Paul Ortiz who wrote An African-American and Latinx History of the United States. And we'll be talking about, that. that's, that's the first conversation. And we'll be talking, we'll kind of be, we'll taking a, um, uh, a step back and looking at some of the history of Latin America and how that is connected to our history in the United States now. Then I'll be speaking with Ed Morales, who uh, wrote Fantasy Island about the colonialism in Puerto Rico, as well as how um, you know Puerto Ricans very much have a second-class citizenship, and how Hurricane Maria really exposed uh, the very fragile relationship that Puerto Rico has with the United States. And then I'll be speaking with Laura Gomez, who wrote a book called Manifest Destinies, The Making of the Mexican-American Race. And she also wrote a book that just came out called Inventing Latinos. And that conversation, I think, is going to be very provocative because she makes a case that Latinos should be considered a race and not an ethnicity. And, uh, you know, a lot of people might not agree with that. And that's okay, but the point is like just being open to hearing other points of views, um, because you know that what she says is that, uh, which is true, right? Like race is a social construct. Like society, we're the ones that instill meaning into race, and so if we're the ones constructing and deconstructing race, why can't we construct a Latino identity? as a race because we are already racialized in this country um, 
right? Like people already discriminate against Latinos based on race. Um, so that'll be a really interesting conversation. I'm, I'm looking forward to just asking her a lot of questions because, you know, obviously one of the biggest kind of pushbacks and a very valid and important one is, is do we, do we further obscure the experience of Afro-Latinos and Black Latinos if we just all of a sudden had like a racial category? Um, and so I'm really looking forward to just kind of exploring all that with her. Um, and then the last conversation uh, is about uh, women in the, particularly Chicanas in the Chicano movement and how uh, women really pushed the Chicano movement um, because as our culture is very macho men and very can be very misogynistic and the movement in the 60s the chicano movement very much had those things in it and um there are really just amazing women that so many of us don't even know about um and so we'll be talking to some of um some of those women and some of the people that have studied the women in the chicano movement um but yeah, I'm super excited about it. I hope people will join. I'm super grateful that we all grew Latina wanted to partner on this. And we also have um, She Se Puede, which was recently launched by Eva Longoria and uh, America Ferrera and others who are partnering with us. And Bise, who is, uh, that is Zoe Saldana's digital company and Latino Rebels. Um, so I am just so grateful that there have been so many organizations and, and people who have supported this vision that I have of of really wanting to inform all of us about our history. Um, because if we don't know our history, how can we know, you know, how can we know where we're going? Um, so, so yeah, I hope people tune in. I love That's it. an incredible lineup. Yeah. I am, I'm, and I'm, I'm super excited. excited because I just got that book, the African-American um, and Latinx history of the United States. It took like, you know, everything was backward. Yeah. So like, five months to get to me almost but i'm so excited oh, so i'm like i want to hear this yeah conversation. and people can people can um can register for the conversations at weallgirllatina.com backslash uh la historia uncovered uh, there's also links like on my social media and 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 real girl latina social media where people can can register and you know i do want to say at the very beginning of this we are not going to cover every aspect of Latinx history. We are not going to right. have every voice included. And it's not meant, uh, it's, that's not meant to exclude. It's, it's, just that, it's just that we have so much history and so many stories to tell mm -hmm. that it's impossible to include them all in a four-part series. What I really hope happens is that, um, you know, is that, that so many people tune in, that so many people find the conversations helpful, that that we can continue to do these conversations on an ongoing basis versus just like these four. You know, I hope that we can get a sponsor so we can get some money to uh, to, to do this because, uh, you know, right now, like we all grow and, and, and myself are like shelling out the cash and the time and everything that we needed to put it together. And so, um, and, and that's not, I mean, that's just not sustainable to do forever, right? So I hope that, right. uh, that we can get some, um, so that we can get some some funding so that we can keep doing them and and be able to include more voices and more stories. Right. Well, I'm sure that's going to happen. Yeah, most definitely. Will these conversations be available to view after yeah. the live recording? And where would that be? So they'll be on uh, We All Grow Latina. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I'll have clips because and stuff of them in my social media, like YouTube channel and stuff. But yeah, they'll they'll be there. 
Great. That's awesome. Um, you know, it's definitely apparent you've got a lot going on. <laughs> and, you know, Yadel, actually, right before we hopped on this call, we've been chatting about you for like the past week. Um, all great things as we prepare <laughs> for the episode. And she was like, oh, and she's got a third book coming up out, which you just told us about. And I literally responded like almost like it was like just like came out. I'm like, how is she doing this all? Like, how is she fitting this all in? Um, I'm I'm feeling very sad that I started my, my week already saying, oh my God, what a week it has been. And it's only Monday when like, I think of everything that you've done. So, you know, we're always curious, like what's your self-care look like, right? Because you obviously are on a daily or dealing with very tough topics and situations. So how do you take care of yourself? Yeah, so... Um, I have learned to say no a lot. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, maybe that's not the right approach, but I, I say no to a lot of things because uh, if I just, you know, I, I used to say yes to a lot of things and then I was just like so exhausted all the time. So I, I try to be more thoughtful about um, the things that I say yes to. And um, the other thing that has just and this is like not an ad at all this is like real life testimony uh which is that my peloton has just been like the biggest blessing ever especially during quarantine like i i've had the peloton now for a over a year so i had it you know months and months before the quarantine but definitely during the quarantine it has just been a lifesaver like being able to get on my bike and cycle for you know what sometimes it's 20 minutes sometimes it's an hour uh it's just it's so amazing the classes are so amazing and the instructors is like so inspiring um and it just really helps to keep my to keep me going like it's i i don't know what i would do if i didn't have the ability to just like jump on my bike anytime i want it while i'm at home or like you know do they have this like one of my favorite classes they have this standing yoga series they're like 10 minute little yoga classes that you do standing oh, up so best. you don't need a mat or any they're the best yeah, it's like they're the best. you know right now I, I'm probably gonna do 10 minutes of yoga after this because so I can stretch um but yeah so like Peloton has really kept me really really sane and um you know time with time with my husband I would say with my friends too but I I I've spent a lot less time with my friends recently but um but yeah just having like like Fernando and I we do this like pizza Fridays and like he cooks pizza on Fridays and then we like open a nice bottle of wine and just like hang out on Friday nights or you know we go we go um riding on the weekends very lucky to have to live in California right now it's the air quality is really bad because of all the fires so it's you know we haven't been riding outside but under in different circumstances we'll ride our bikes um on the weekends We'll do dim sum on Sundays. We like really love food, uh, which is why we have to like also work out so much. (laughs) 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 Uh, But yeah, all those things just really keep me, um, you know, like I think sometimes it feels like, um, and I I am very active on social media, especially on, on Instagram. And I share a lot of like just my daily life. And I try very hard to make sure that who I am in real life is who I am on, on social media. Um, but there's still a part of my life that is not there, you know, that like I right. keep to myself and, and it's right. those, those, those parts that really, um, are like my self care. Hmm. You know? I love it. 
I love that. That's funny because actually Jess was asking me, I don't know if it was this morning or yesterday about the Peloton, right, Jess? So I, yeah, I, I was will asking second over the weekend. That. I will second that. It's the best. Peloton has been keeping me just going and active and sane and just even feeling healthy. Um, so I, I, I second you on that, Julissa. I love that, yeah. that you shared that and that you shared pizza yeah. night. And if you... If y'all need a, if y'all need a code, if y'all need a code for the Peloton, DM me. I'll send <laughs> oh, you my code. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> you get a hundred dollars, and I get a hundred dollars for to use for apparel, which is like literally like I can buy a shirt, a tank top. <laughs> like, all, all of my all of my Peloton apparel that I have is thanks to the people that I have bought Pelotons with my code. Uh, that's how I have like, you know, a couple of leggings and like a sports bra that was like $80, which is yeah. crazy. Oh my God. Uh, well, but I you mean, know, I, I gotta Jess keep my, the girls safe. I gave Jess my code. So I'm waiting on those $100 so that I could buy myself some leggings that are on oh sale gosh. right now. They got, they got, they got a real, they got a, uh, I mean, Peloton needs to, I'm going to shut up about Peloton. Peloton otherwise to we're going to have to, we're going to, we're going to have to charge Peloton them a Peloton fee. <laughs> <laughs> but what I will say is they have a real cool um, Latinx uh, Heritage Month uh, yeah, t-shirt right. and like tank. So uh, I just, my husband and I just bought like, he, he got the t-shirt and I got the tank top uh, with, with a code and uh, they're really <laughs> cool. And um, yeah, they also are going to have like Latinx uh, theme uh, rides, right? Like theme rides. Yeah. Which I just think they should oh just do gosh. like so many more. Like I feel like it's still right. not enough. They should just do them right. regularly. Um, there's, there Y'all should be as really many Latinx rides. There needs to be as many Latinx rides as there are like rock and roll rides. True. That, that should, I, it should be one for I'm one, on one that. for one. With you on that I for agree. sure. Well, I will probably be joining the cult of Peloton <laughs> with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> because that is like the strongest branding. Scientology got nothing on you guys. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so awesome, Julissa. Thank you. Yeah, so I had much so much fun. Thank time. you. This, thank you so much. This, did, this didn't exciting. feel like work at all. I just felt like I was talking to two girlfriends. So, Aww, thank we you. Love that. That. That's what we tried to do. I loved it. Thank you so much. I really think that this was like the perfect episode for us to kick off this season with. Julissa is yeah. an amazing, amazing voice and just her passion um, and how she's really just, I don't know. I mean, I just, I feel like I, I'm like, sound like almost like a vieja when I say this, but like how she's coming to her own, it really is amazing. <laughs> it's just like her right. confidence and the way that she stands and the way that she just affirms herself is just it opens the space and for others to do so as well. Right, right. So inspiring just to learn from where, like, sh- where she came from, uh, working on, I just, even the thought of like Wall Street to me is like, ugh, intimidating, right? So I can only imagine for a young girl like her, undocumented, living like un- this underground reality and then fighting for her dreams, you know? Um, and just also now like paving the way for other people, for for writers, for activists. I love that she even shared, like she's she's not an, a writer. She didn't study literature. She didn't study English. She just 
started, she write, She grabbed a paper and a pen and started writing a bit, bits and pieces of her story. So, so like just moving and, and what we can do and how we can share our stories and what we're about. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the idea that staying stagnant, when she mentioned that she was, she's completely changed to some things she said in her first book, you know? And she's like the evolution of her in her writing and in the in what she believes. And I'm like, I love that too, because we, we, all, we are all sponges trying to absorb and learn. Mm-hmm. You can be someone who's super knowledgeable in a, knowledgeable, right. in a subject, but that you always have the opportunity to learn more. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and like there's a famous quote, like, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room type of thing. And that is like, right. yeah, if you're the smartest person in the room, right? Like, how are you learning? How are you continuing to grow? And I just think that the way that she's like been able to tackle new obstacles and elevate every step of the way and her sense of purpose and feeling like I need to do more than just make the buco bucks and really like represent and put on for my community and she's absolutely done that um this series that she's doing with we all grow is amazing um so far if you heard when you heard about her talking about it she's already done two episodes and there are two more to come so you can look at the and watch the past episodes on youtube if you go to we all grow um dot com slash backslash La Historia Uncovered, it'll lead you to either watch the stories, I mean, the videos on either YouTube or Facebook, so you can check them out there because I think they're super fascinating. And I just love whenever people take the initiative and say, you know what, our history has been, it's either been muddied and changed or it hasn't mm-hmm. been told nearly enough mm-hmm, and we need mm-hmm. to take ownership and it's our opportunity right. to, t- to tell right. our stories. And, you know, to her point, it's like we're so diverse and there's so much to tell and we have we haven't had the opportunity to tell our stories at all. So, of course, it's like there may be a sense of like, well, it's all mine and what about me and what about us and what about this? But I think like there has to be an opportunity and right now the opportunity has just begun and I really do hope that, you know, to what she said, that someone picks this up and get, and, and provides the resources so that this can be an right. ongoing project because there's just so much richness and beauty in to our stories to be told. So yeah, I'm waiting for more. Yeah. And then also, too, you know, you 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 pointed it out. And I thought that was also very powerful when she said and she talked about self-promotion, you know, being your 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 cheerleader. We use we're so used to being like our worst enemy sometimes, Mm. our worst critic and coming and like bullying. I mean, I I I am responsible for this you know like I do this to myself all the time like I'm such a bully with the things that I do with even how I how I look and feel and it's like really coming to owning owning what you're doing you know owning and being proud of it and being like yeah that self-promotion be cool you know be about it um I really love that she said that because it's I feel like it's something that it's so hard for us to come to terms with oh my god I a thousand percent agree it's like we bust our asses to get to certain places whether it's in relationships are at work and then when people like look at us and they're like try to give us any type of credit it's like no 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 no, not me and it's like you know what go out there right. and embrace the fierce individual that you are today and accept that compliment and say thank yeah. you yes I've worked very hard or thank you I know I yeah. look good or whatever Absolutely. it may be like <laughs> or yes I did this like I I did do this mm-hmm. I achieved this and being proud even when saying it we we tend to like always succumb to like oh but you know that's nothing I didn't you know I, I yeah it was it was nothing right. no it's not nothing it's a big deal you're right. a fucking book oh 
Oh, you know, like <laughs> that's for damn sure. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So thank you so much to Julissa for joining us for our episode. Yeah. And we thank you all so much for rocking with us and tuning in. And we will be back in a couple weeks with another amazing episode for you. So as always, you can follow us on our show social at Wait Holds Up Pod or email us at weightholdsuppodcast at gmail.com. And make sure you leave us a review if you if you like this episode, if there's any comments or concerns or anything you'd like to see or hear or anybody that you would like for us to talk to, uh, comment for sure. Drop those reviews on iTunes. Thank you, guys. We love you all so much. Until next time. Bye. bye.